Hey friends, before we jump into this week's episode of the podcast, I just wanted to take a moment and share that this month marks our eight-year anniversary. Eight years. Can you believe that? Eight years ago, we opened on William Street in the South Side, and since then, we have served thousands upon thousands of cups of coffee. And so to celebrate our coffee, the drink that has fueled so many conversations, so many ideas, so many study sessions, our coffee is only $1 for the month of June. So come get a mug and bring a friend and celebrate with us. All right, now on to the episode. Here's the real reason. I live in the city because I love to get out and walk and see people. I think that's what makes a city. When you get out and you see a camp house or a store and you walk around and there are other people around there, you feel the vibrancy and energy of the city and that's what makes it special. And so when we provide opportunities for people to get out of their vehicles, again, I drive my car every day, so I'm not, I'm not saying that that's something that we're gonna get rid of in our city, but um, when we get out of our vehicles and we're able to, to see each other and talk, that's what makes our city special. And I love to, to do that. And most of the time, if you ask people, what are those best moments in the city? It's, it's when they find some way to interact with, with others, not when they're by themselves. And bike lanes and multimodal transit, it facilitates that kind of interaction. Welcome to a very special episode of the Camp House Podcast. Back on May 18th, our city celebrated the annual Bike to Work Day, part of the National Bike to Work Week. This year, Green Trips Chattanooga hosted a panel discussion on biking and multimodal transportation at Miller Plaza, which I had the pleasure to moderate. I'm joined on the panel by Mayor Andy Burke, Councilman Erskine Oglesby, Director of Community Development Donna Williams, and the MLK Neighborhood Association board member and avid cyclist Chris Likens. So I hope you enjoy this episode that was recorded live at Miller Plaza as we discuss the impact of multimodal transportation on the growth and equity within our city. This is the Camp House Podcast, and I'm your host, Matt Busby. every year that we've had a bike to work day so thank you very much to the river city company uh, i do want to thank bike walk chattanooga for their bike valet services so thank you them for uh, helping us corral all these bicycles out here uh, thank you to nuga booth for having some fun <laughs> photo opportunities so please feel free to uh, take your your fun photos over there with them um, and then i also want to thank the uh, Dipped Fresh, Community Pie, and the Taqueria Jalisco for the great breakfast we have this morning. So thank you to all those folks. And without further ado, I want to take up less of your time and give more time to our great panel. So I will introduce the panel briefly, starting with our moderator, Matt Busby. Uh, please do hold your applause until we've done all the introductions, if that's okay. And then, of course, we are recording this panel discussion for the Camp House podcast, so please do be mindful of that and try to help us keep the background noise down. So, all right, so since 2010, Matt Busby has been the director of the Camp House. Camp House is now eight years old and is a space where people can gather to work, meet, and collaborate. 
In 2016, Matt launched the Camp House podcast as an extension of that mission, helping create a resource that would allow local citizens to be more informed, feel more connected, and be inspired by what is happening in Chattanooga. In addition to his role with the Camp House, Matt is also the pastor of cultural engagement at the Mission Chattanooga. Right, and then moving on down the panel, uh, Mayor Andy Burke is the mayor. He was elected mayor of Chattanooga in 2013 and re-elected in 2017. And during Mayor Burke's tenure, his administration has focused on making Chattanooga's streets safer, families stronger, growing middle-class jobs, and using taxpayer dollars efficiently. To that end, the population of Chattanooga is growing steadily while enjoying historic lows in poverty and unemployment. Chattanooga is creating jobs at twice the rate of the national economy and criminal activity, especially homicides and gang-related offenses, continues to decline, and hundreds of millions of dollars are at work developing our downtown core, which has seen its population double in the past five years. During Mayor Burke's tenure, Chattanooga has also moved from bronze to silver-level recognition as a bicycle-friendly city by the League of American Bicyclists. And work is currently underway to better showcase the area from Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard to Miller Plaza and helping turn Patton Parkway as well. All of this into a beautiful, bustling space for retail and pedestrians and creating a vibrant gateway to our city. Moving down the table, we have Councilman Erskine Oglesby Jr. Councilman Oglesby is the council's vice chairman for 2018 and 19. He served as the chair of the Economic and Community Development Committee from 2017 to 18. Prior to his election as councilman in District 7, for District 7 in 2017, Mr. Oglesby worked as associate director of corporate engagement for the United Way of Greater Chattanooga and was responsible for cultivating relationships with community and corporate partners. Before United Way, Mr. Oglesby was a business service representative for the Southeast Tennessee Development District's Tennessee Career Center. Mr. Oglesby is the past chairman of the board of the Dodson Avenue Southside Community Health Center, while also serving on the Bessie Smith Cultural Center Board, and was the founding chairman of the Bessie Smith Heritage Festival. And then uh, Donna Williams, the administrator of the Office of Economic and Community Development. Uh, Donna leads a team of more than 125 members across nine divisions of the Chattanooga City Government. A Chattanooga native, uh, Donna, Williams attended the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and worked for a variety of computer and technology companies in Chattanooga and Atlanta before starting her own consulting and development firm in Chattanooga. She worked on the Emil King Tomorrow Initiative before leading Habitat for Humanity as executive director in June 2012. Ms. Williams has been involved in a number of civic and community organizations and she has served as vice chairwoman of the Chattanooga Metropolitan Airport Authority and as a board member of the Chattanooga Community Housing Development Organization, the Chattanooga Historic Zoning Commission, Chattanooga Habitat for Humanity, Cornerstones Incorporated, Chattanooga Launch, and the UTC Chancellor's Roundtable. And she's also a resident of the MLK neighborhood, which recently was, uh, had the bike lanes that many of you came in on installed. Right. And then Chris Likens uh, is the Martin Luther King Neighborhood Association board member. He's agreed to join us today. Chris is an instructor in graphic arts at Chattanooga State Technical Community College, where he has worked since 2015. He is also the owner and designer for Lost Art Stationery, a business he launched in 2015. Mr. Likens is a board member of the Martin Luther King Neighborhood Association, as well as an avid cyclist, frequently biking from downtown to Chattanooga State uh, along the River Park. 
So please, uh, let's give a warm welcome to our great panel. I'm welcoming you. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for having us here today. And uh, panel, thank you for being here. Uh, Mayor Burke, you know, I'd love to start this conversation with you. You know, I think at the, up until now at least, uh, certainly your, your uh, administration and your, and your time as mayor has certainly been, been marked by, you know, exploring multimodal transportation within our downtown and specifically bike lanes. And why has that been so important uh, as, as a leader of Chattanooga? Why has that issue been so important to you as mayor? Well, let me start with the policy reasons that, that usually you're supposed to say, and then I'll give you the real reason. Okay. How about that? that um, so the, here's the policy reasons that, that you do this. Um, one is we know that uh, one out of three Americans doesn't drive, and so when we have multimodal options, that gives more options for people in our city. The second piece is when you do that, you take load off of our roads, and that reduces congestion and allows people who are in the cars to travel safer and uh, more freely. The third thing is that we want everybody to be safe in our city no matter how they travel, and bike lanes are, are important to do that. Um, fourth is that it's healthier, like when people get in the car, get in their bikes, they bike around, that's healthier. And fifth, of course, when we reduce the number of people who are traveling by vehicles, um, then we're also reducing the smog that goes into the air. And as a, as a person who grew up in our city, we, I understand what that means. So those are, the, I think, the, the, the policy reasons. Here's the real reason. I live in the city because I love to get out and walk and see people. I think that's what makes a city. When you get out and you see a camp house or a store and you walk around and there are other people around there, you feel the vibrancy and energy of the city and that's what makes it special. And so when we provide opportunities for people to get out of their vehicles, again, I drive my car every day, so I'm not, I'm not saying that that's something that we're going to get rid of in our city. but. Um, when we get out of our vehicles and we're able to, to see each other and talk, that's what makes our city special. And I love to, to do that. And most of the time, if you ask people, what are those best moments in the city, it's, it's when they find some way to interact with, with others, not when they're by themselves. And bike lanes and multimodal transit, it facilitates that kind of interaction. So, uh, Councilman Oglesby, you know, you represent a, a district within our city uh, that's seen a lot of this infrastructure change over the past four years. Uh, how, how has this been received within your district? How, how do you think this is impacting your constituents, the people that you represent? Well, <clears throat> the excitement of the uh, excuse me, <clears throat> the excitement of, of this program it's growing. Uh, as anything that's new into a city, it takes a transitional period and a change of mindset. With that being said, I'm seeing more and more people excited about the program of, of, of biking and becoming a more walkable, friendly city, and it's starting to resonate. And from this program, I see it starting to affect how our city is going to continue to look in the future and how people are going to interact. The mayor is absolutely right. You know, it changes our whole infrastructure mindset and it, make, it continues to make us a cleaner city. One of the things that I'm starting to see that really excites me as people come from the outlying area to our urban core is you will actually have people riding to a bus stop, mm -hmm. putting their bike on the front of the bus, going to another location, and then picking up their bike again. That says a lot about our city. And 
since so much of this is located downtown, and for me, uh, south, south side of Chattanooga, the excitement is growing, people are excited, and they like the balance that people are able, and I'm a, a driver too, I'm sorry, Blight, if he's still in here. <laughs> but I'm starting to, oh, there he is. But, but one thing that this program is, is, is teaching me is I need to bike more. And that's what I'm going to start doing. So if it can affect me to want to be more of a biker and a walker, that's saying a lot about our city. So, you know, from uh, District 7 and the areas that I serve, it's an excitement that's growing, it's resonating, and I see it being continually transforming our city into the future on how we get around and interact with the, each other. Yeah, I mean, you say people ride their bikes to the bus and then load it on. I don't know if Aaron Cole is still in here, but I know Aaron Cole and his family, they take one car downtown with their kids, and, it, and then he pulls his bike off the car and rides his bike to work. So he's only taking up one parking space downtown, uh, and that's kind of how they've worked as a family, which is pretty cool to see. Um, you know, Ms. Williams, you represent community development within our city. How, how, can you talk for a minute about how s sort of focusing on multimodal transportation and bike lanes, you know, especially in light of the fact that only, you know, one-third of all Americans can't drive or don't drive, um, how, how does this impact our neighborhoods in general uh, and, and the, the way communities develop? Well, I think one of the really cool things about the, the whole movement toward uh, multimodal transportation and biking in particular is uh, biking is accessible to everybody. So we're, we're a city of equity. We're very focused and intentional and deliberate about equity. Um, and so anybody, practically anybody, can um, have access to, to a bike. And also uh, the, the infrastructure is spreading, so more and more neighborhoods can have easy access to, to uh, bike lanes and such. And then the other thing is, uh, all over the country, when you combine housing, food, and transportation, those three categories uh, are the reason that a lot of people can't afford adequate housing. So if you can remove the expense of a car, automo the, the automobile purchase, the automobile insurance, the automobile maintenance, then more people really are able to afford housing that they would enjoy. So mm -hmm. it, it, ha it has a ripple effect, and uh, I, I think it's really cool because it, even though most people don't look at it that way, it really is an issue of equity. And Chris, you are a avid cyclist, and you're also a resident of the downtown neighborhoods. So I'm, for, with you, I'm, I'm very interested in, in the experience of the last you know, three years. As you've seen our city begin to transform, begin to add bike lanes, and actually take you know, bike safety and multimodal transportation more seriously, wh what has that been like for you? Uh, I feel like uh, opening the city to multimodal transportation and coming from the city uh, indicates to the citizens that the city is concerned about our safety, and um, it does open up the neighborhoods. Living on MLK for 10 years, I'm at the very top by the, in the school <laughs> building, um, and trying to participate in the activities happening downtown, but not, having, not feeling safe. Um, whether we were walking under that train trestle that kind of divides the um, neighborhood from the town, or whether we were trying to cycle, we would rarely use MLK because it was just such a busy, busy road, and the speed limit, although down to 30, I think the cars were going about 55, I felt like. <laughs> so definitely would avoid that way as a way to get into downtown. Um, having it opened up, which it's on a diet, having it opened up to more um, possibilities for movement, I think has really 
made the value of the neighborhood go up and has made the citizens, the residents of the neighborhood, feel more valued. Yeah. So, so Matt, we'll, we'll turn it because you're the moderator, but, you know, we, we should have the chance to ask you a question. You're, you're, on, uh, you're on the corner, basically, of, of um, Lindsay and MLK, and Chris is talking a little bit about the changes that we've seen. My, my own experience is that um, the changes on MLK for something that, you know, people fought against for a long time, um, I hear almost universal love for what happened on MLK, and I just wonder what your experience is as a business that obviously advocated for those changes. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I, th I think I can speak on behalf of uh, the Business Association of MLK, uh, because as soon as this came up, uh, I remember talking with Blythe a couple of years ago saying, hey, this is a possibility, and it, it would really help us if the business community spoke up, and I went around and, and had everybody fill out petitions um, because and it, go, it goes really, for, for us as businesses, it goes back to what you were saying earlier. Um, if you can get people out of the car, they will experience their uh, surroundings, their environment differently. And it's actually not even just getting them out of the car. It's that process of slowing them down from 45, 50 miles an hour down to 30. Like, like once, once you, you pass a certain threshold to where you, you are actually experiencing your environment differently, you won't notice things. Um, and so for us, it's, it's having more people walking on the street because it's safer. It's having cyclists like all of you participate in, in the life of the street. And it's having uh, people who, who are transporting by cars, which is the majority of the people in our city still, just slowing down and actually noticing the world around them. Right. But the, and the other part I would just say that goes along with that is that it's also about the experience for the pedestrian as they walk yeah. along and what, what, what's going on beside them. So I, I was with my um, family the other day, we were having dinner and uh, we were talking about an area of town that wasn't doing so well and my younger daughter who's 15, she can't drive yet anyway, but I, I, she said, she spoke up and she said, hey, me, my friends and I will never go down there because the cars drive way too fast mm. by us and we want a place where we can walk around. So one of the biggest changes around MLK is not just that the people are experiencing it differently, but the pedestrians are experiencing MLK differently because they don't feel like there's a, a um, racetrack next to them, and that makes mm -hmm. the experience of walking around so much more pleasant. And it's quieter, too. I mean, uh, that was the first thing that Blythe said to me when, when after it was done. He was like, you can't believe how quiet it is if you walk along MLK, and you really do notice that as a pedestrian now. Uh, so you all are cyclists. Is, are, by show of hands, how many of you avoided MLK until this road diet? <laughs> yeah. So before I had kids, I did ride my bike from Highland Park to, uh, to where the camp house is now, and I would always take Maine and, and then find as many back roads as I could between Main Street and MLK because uh, there's no way in the world I was going down MLK when it was four lanes like that. Mm -hmm. um, so as our city, and this is really kind of open to, to anybody to answer, you know, as our city continues to grow, continues to develop, um, and, and we maintain this focus on multimodal transportation and, and, and bike lanes and bike infrastructure, you know, what does the future of our city look like in, in the next two, three, four, five years? Uh, I see it as uh, ML King resonating into connecting other areas of our city to have that same look because what I'm starting to get is people want their areas to be like ML King, where many of you would not go through ML King because you didn't, didn't feel safe. Now, because of the experience of ML King, it make other areas 
want to be just like that. So that's, that's really where our future of our city is going because we are a friendly city. We are a connected city. And that example that has been set forth by what has been done on ML King will resonate because I've already had constituents in my area saying, I wasn't really for that at first, but now it makes sense. Where can you find the money to make that happen in my area? <laughs> and I said, well, that's a whole nother political question, <laughs> but we can talk about it. But, but it's a good thing. And, and the thing that really that I like about it is when we have people coming to our city visiting and see this, that's just one more thing to appreciate because people not only want to feel safe from a crime perspective, but they want to feel safe when they're just leisurely walking around and interacting with each other and shopping in our little quaint shops along those streets. So I see that as something transforming our city, moving forward where more neighborhoods would want to have that multi-mode feel that ML King now has. I think one of the things, I'm sorry, I think you're about to say something, but I think one of the things that I really see for the future is that when the bike lanes allow a person to slow down and experience the city, it becomes their city. And when they see um, input from the government making, helping make things and having a focus of multimodal transportation, um, I think that allows them to say, you know, my house isn't the only place of my sanctuary, this is my city and I have input and I have value and I can help move it in the right direction instead of just being a single person who drives in a car by themselves to their house in their back gate if they have a garage and they never interact with anyone. That's a totally different experience. I think that's the future of our town. Uh, then Matt, I, I'd like to add that the ML King neighborhood is part of the Innovation District. And we have some uh, beautiful buildings in the district. We have some buildings that are uh, unutilized and certainly some that are underutilized. And some of those buildings don't have uh, parking access, right? They don't have garages, they don't have parking, uh, parking lots. Uh, and so the, the rise of folks not needing and depending on an automobile, uh, many not even owning an automobile, make those properties even more valuable and more accessible to a wider range of folks. So that, that's a, yet another way in which this whole movement um, allows for equity because now someone can actually live where they want to live and these buildings that were not particularly of interest to developers who would need to bring tens of millions of dollars to purchase and rehab them, now those properties are of more interest to the developers and then that increases density, which also hopefully will increase diversity uh, just not just racially and uh, related to gender, socioeconomics, everything, so that we have a, more of an opportunity to get to know, as, as Chris was saying, to, to get to know one another and see one another, um, which is nothing but it's all good for the city. So I'll just make two related points. One is, one of my least favorite things is when I hear people say, oh, you, you know, you build these bike lanes and it's all about millennials or something like that. Well. That's ridiculous, right? Because if you look at any survey, what it tells you is that pretty much every demographic group prefers to have a walkable, you know, multimodal city. And particularly if you meet, you know, like I'm sure y'all meet with AARP like I do, um, but if you meet with AARP and, and different groups like that, what are they talking about? They want a livable city. That's what they're advocating for and that's what their, um, their members want, which is related to point number two. And that is that 
Um, with, the, with the way that the internet has changed our um, retail and, and overall um, commercial system, right now you can get anything generic on the web. And so what people want is they want uniqueness. It's all about building a unique experience for people. And our city should be a place where unique experiences thrive, and that means not like neighborhoods have the chance to really provide that because each of them, to Donna's point, is different. It has a different neighborhood and character. MLK is obviously this amazing place that is so rich in history and in architecture and in culture. And so when you build those unique experiences for people and they can get out and they enjoy them and enjoy them, that's what really transformed the city and, and every neighborhood and every district has those opportunities um, because if you just want to get like some, some you know, tied detergent or whatever, you'll be able to get it online and that's not an issue. But if you want to get out and walk and enjoy and talk people while you buy some, something that you can only get in our city, or you just want to get that experience while you buy your Tide, then, then we want to give people that opportunity. That's what will build our city. And, and I think, you know, talking about this, I, talking about the future of our city and how our, this bike infrastructure, multimodal transportation can begin to grow, um, you know, Mayor, I'd love for you to talk about these new bikes that are sitting right behind me, these blue ones, because um, these are just being introduced and announced this week uh, for our city, and they're electric assist bikes. Yeah, so we're the first city, thanks to Lyndhurst Foundation, we are the first city to have these electric bikes in our ride share. So everybody can give a, we'll have background noise on the podcast for that. Um, and that, that is fantastic, and we really want to thank them. I, um, I know from just the couple people I talked to about it, they say that they're, they're great. I have not had a chance to try one yet, but I will. Um, and so I think, again, it goes to, to Donna's point about, you know, we, we want to find these different ways for people to experience our city. Some people, that really helps to have a, an assist um, on, the, on the bike. It also for people who might want to be innovators or change and, and be at the forefront of something, you know, we have uh, this kind of, uh, of option. So I think it's great. I think we have, do we have time for questions, Jonathan? Okay. Does anybody in the audience have a, a question or two? Yeah. How many of these electric bikes are we going to have in the city? My understanding is four, right? Fifteen, but 15. we started with four right now, right? Okay, so we're going up to 15. Anybody else? So let me repeat the question for the sake of the recording. Uh, are there any plans to connect downtown to some of the major population centers around our city uh, when it comes to multimodal transportation and bike lanes or anything like that? Yeah, so um, we have uh, a lot of plans to expand the, the bike system, but by the same token, uh, as y'all know from the, the disputes that we've had in our city about the expansion that we want to go where people want the, the cycling, and it is oftentimes difficult to make the case, even though we, we see the, the proof that it, it does not um, harm congestion. In fact, it can help it. Um, so I think that's a, that's a process that means there will be certain neighborhoods and places that push for it sooner than others, um, and we, we hear that in, in neighborhoods. Um, I, I also will just tell you that um, we think that we're building other options for people this year, for example, um, you know, we're going to finish out the South Chick um, expansion of our, of our trail system. If you look in this year's budget, 
Um, we have uh, a good deal of funding that's for King Lane and other extenders, so we want to build that trail system that people can utilize in case they, they, they may not have access to um, a bike lane on their road, but we do want people all around the city to see these connected trails and, and this system that gives them some other options. And, and Matt, can I add one thing to that? Uh, and we're also increasing the number of housing options in, in the downtown area and in the first ring neighborhoods. So you'll see much more affordable housing over the next uh, several, uh, well, some in coming in the next few months, but certainly within the next 18 to 24 months. Uh, and right now we have slated approximately 1,100 housing units, most of those multifamily, but some single family, that will be income restricted so that we can continue to increase the uh, income diversity in the downtown area. All right, Mr. Lyle, last question. All right, that's a long one, but. Um, <laughs> so as, as state funding begins to drop and the state even begins to preempt cities and what they can and cannot use the money for when it comes to transportation dollars, uh, what can we do as a city? Is there anything we're already doing? And what can we do as citizens to help expand this infrastructure within our community? Well, I'll be happy to take that hot potato without a, you know, without a pad on my hand. Um, so here's where I would say um, our state's going on in the wrong direction and uh, we have to vote people, different people in if you want to change those policies. This is a horrible um, trend in our state. Um, this is all about telling cities, which are driving, by the way, all the wage growth and all the um, unemployment, uh, drop, the dropping of the unemployment numbers. All that's happening in where? In places like Nashville and Chattanooga. We're driving the, we're driving the progress of our state. And what is the state legislature doing? They're trying to stop us from doing the things that are making those, those great things happen. This is, a bad, this is a bad trend. And so if we want to make sure that our city continues to move forward and our state moves forward, we have to change those policies. And I will tell you that it's not just on bikes, it's on all kinds of other things that we wanna do, whether it's affordable housing um, or how we do economic development or anything else. And so y'all should pay attention, know that it matters, it affects us. We, we oftentimes will have to think to ourselves as we um, put together something in our office, well, is, is this gonna be something that the state legislature is gonna stop? And if so, how do we, how do we get around that? And so this is, a, this is a real problem. This is not some fake thing that you hear about in the, in the paper. And, uh, and we really do need you to advocate and tell people, um, you know, there was a big, just to give you how practical this is, there were, we were having discussions about when to do MLK to make sure that it wasn't stopped while the legislature was in session. Wow. So it could have been stopped, and we were trying to do that. You have to tell your local legislature, le legislators and any others that you have a relationship with, this is important and it helps drive the progress of our city. Well, please give them a round of applause. Panelists, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much to Jonathan Gibbons for the invitation and opportunity to moderate this panel. And thank you to our excellent panelists. We spent a lot of time during the discussion talking about bike lanes and bike lane infrastructure. And hopefully you all have had the chance to experience the changes on ML King Boulevard. 
Now I should mention the reasons the changes were made to MLK was not for bike lanes. It was to right-size the road, and bike lanes became a benefit of that change. And so if you have not experienced MLK, please come down and take an evening to walk the street, or ride a bike, or even drive your car down the boulevard. The street is safe, wonderful, and helping to create a better neighborhood for everyone in our community. At some point in the conversation, Councilman Oglesby mentioned that he heard skepticism from so many of his constituents when it came to the MLK changes. But after, once people had the chance to experience the street, people began to imagine how such changes can transform their own neighborhoods. And that is my hope for all of you. So come on down and walk the boulevard. Stop in our restaurants, barbershops, salons, and breweries. And most importantly, talk to someone you meet along the way. Well, thank you all for listening. Please share this episode with a friend. And just a reminder, the month of June is our anniversary, and we are celebrating by offering our coffee for only $1 all month long. So share this episode with a friend and then bring them down for a cup of coffee. Have a great week, and we'll see you again next time.